Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our next episode of The Pragmatic Anarchist. This episode, episode six, making moneyless moves and seeking sustainable society. I'm bringing on today a guest. He's the author of a book called Moneyless Society, uh, Matthew Holton. He also runs the uh, Moneyless Society pages and Facebook groups. Uh, I really enjoy a lot of what this guy has to say. And to get right into it, uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks, Joey. Appreciate it. Nice to meet you. And thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. No problem. It's uh, it's great to hear, uh, you know, solutions to the problems we're facing as a society. Uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about and unpack when it's the collapse of civilization as we live through it on a daily basis. Um, you know, and we all just pretend it's okay. Uh, but we have to, we have to look at things. So to get right into it, your book, um, tell us a little bit about what uh, inspired you to come on this journey. Uh, it started with a Facebook group and a page and led to the book and, you know, how it started, where it's going, what your plans are for it. Yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of people ask me, you know, why I wrote the book. And, you know, I'm, as far as that's concerned, I really kind of have to take it back to, you know, like the, my childhood and a lot of things that I experienced, you know, as a kid, like, um, you know, my mom committed suicide when she was, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, she was in her thirties and it was a really rough time for me, but basically the medical system failed her. And, um, you know, and then it kind of continued to fail me thereafter. I wasn't really to get the help, able to get the help that I needed in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I bounced around, I ran away from home. I've, I've had over a hundred jobs in my life. I've worked for like, you know, seven different restaurants, waiting tables. I've done pizza delivery. I've, you know, uh, sold insurance. I was a poker dealer. I've had all these jobs and everything, but I've never really been able to, you know, kind of get settled into society because, you know, I was just having such a struggle, uh, keeping my head above water, had a daughter at a young age too. And that made things, uh, you know, difficult as well. And, um, but I just kind of wanted to check out a society a lot because I was just very, you know, kind of just depressed with where the world was and how people are treated and, you know, how the medical system just doesn't really give a damn about people for the most part, it seems. And, you know, basically, I just I tried to, uh, you know, find alternatives and solutions. I really wanted to go join like some sort of eco village or eco community or something like that. Um, but my daughter was kind of, you know, also still, you know, I very much wanted to be a part of her life. and. um and, you know, so so basically I kind of chose to stay within the system and not, you know, just live a nomadic life off the grid. And and also because I, you know, it kind of was forced to as well because the child support, I had to pay child support and things like that. But, um, yeah, so I saw the films, the Zeitgeist films and everything, and I thought that was a really cool concept. But, you know, I was hoping that there would be some sort of community of people that were kind of out there, like building these values in real life. And I couldn't really find anything in that regard. And... So, I mean, I just, I, I started searching for more people and more communities that were really trying to build, you know, a technologically abundant, uh, kind of cooperative, sustainable sort of society. And, um, I mean, maybe there's little villages here and there that kind of have some of those ideas, but I couldn't really find any, anybody that was like actually physically building those things. And so that was kind of like where this all started is me really kind of wanting to contribute to that movement and, and build some sort of physical community or cooperative system in the long term. And, um, you know, that was about 10 years ago, this all started and 10 years later, there's a book and everything out now we still aren't to the stage where we're actually like building communities and cooperatives, but we're getting closer. I feel like, you know, the next year or two, we'll probably will start forming some of these business entities that actually, you know, are based on these more cooperative systems. And, uh, because, you know, the organization is kind of reaching a point to where it has enough people and it has enough support and, uh, you know, everything in, in order to do that. So, so that's kind of like the gist of where we really want to go is creating, you know, 
co-ops that utilize the structures that we have right now within capitalism, essentially, to create more egalitarian or more equal ownership models, essentially, to where everybody owns something as opposed to just, you know, the investors or a few people at the top. And um, and we've kind of, I, you know, the movement in general has really kind of used these cooperatives as, as a transitional phase that can be utilized uh, to create, you know, a system of abundance, a system where everybody gets what they need, um, you know, and exactly all the details of how that'll happen and everything are still kind of, you know, not exactly worked out and and you know there does there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and a lot of details that need to be figured out but in the long term you know we really do want to create these more cooperative structures and and entities that will network together and uh, you know form a system where everybody can get what they need without you know having to sell their time and their labor for eight hours a day you know four or five days a week or whatever it may be you know based on a more of a voluntary system uh, that eliminates a lot of the uh, unnecessary, you know, labor and activity that the, you know, the capitalist system just essentially, you know, thrives on and and requires as well. That so. that makes perfect sense, and uh, that was one of the first things I noticed when I uh, started reading your book was that uh, we're basically the same guy. I, if I ticked off my driving pizza for years, living off the grid, working on sailboats, traveling, uh, seeing other places smaller communities where it works in better ways. And, uh, you know, thinking if this is available to do, like, why can't we all do this? Uh, and then we're supposed to be in like this, we're getting close to a post-scarcity world, like the industrial revolution, uh, machinery and technology are supposed to be making it. So we have to perform less labor, right? Like that was the whole idea was we're creating robots to do our jobs. And, uh, but if we're not getting equal values and shares in, in, in the benefits of this, then really it's just creating a larger wealth gap, right? And uh, finding a way to, to get around that. And uh, you mentioned cooperatives. There's a guy I uh, talk to a lot online, Patrick Conlon. He mm. uh, runs Works, right? And uh, Yeah, I know Patrick well. He's a great guy. He, he's awesome dude. And he's, uh, you know, he's trying to help people, you know, he has people coming to him all the time. Like, how do we make this cooperative business model work? Uh, right. and he's got, you know, he's got some answers and there's so many people out there, economists like, uh, Richard Wolf and, uh, such that, that are, are posing these questions and providing us answers and solutions to it. And that's, that's one of the big takeaways from your book was that, you know, you started with where you came from, and then sort of what the problem is. And then, and then, you know, you have some, some ideas on where we can go from that. So like, mm -hmm. uh, if, if, uh, you could expound upon, like if someone hadn't read your book and the, the, the biggest takeaway on what we could do to move forward from this stuff, what, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, it's basically to reach out of, you know, create these cooperative systems in your daily life, you know, if, if you can do that and, and in any way that you can do that in order to, you know, get your neighbors and community members and family and whoever else, you know, involved and work together to start um you know, essentially decommodifying, you know, as a, as a, I think a good word for it, a lot of the, you know, things that we need on a daily basis. That means, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing, you know, electricity, 
Um, and eventually, you know, things like education and healthcare and things like that too. I think, I think if people do work together, they can start providing these things. And I think a lot of the larger systems will end up following suit once, once kind of the mindset and the paradigm is there a little bit more, but we have to enact that paradigm, I think, in our own lives. It's not something that is going to be, you know, just in, in implemented by the government at some point without there being like a massive, you know, paradigm shift in the population that essentially demands you know, something like that. And, and in order to create that sort of a paradigm shift, we have to start really trying to think of all the ways that we can essentially become producers as, as communities. You know, we've, we've essentially, what we've done is we've sloughed off the, uh, the task of producing anything to, to business and the profit mechanism. And, and it's, taking it's destroying the planet is what's the problem is it's overusing resources and and we're you know on the way to mat the sixth mass extinction as we know it with climate change and everything um but you know it that mechanism isn't working anymore it worked well for a long time to kind of get us to the point we are you know but it's always had detrimental and negative side effects obviously but you know we got to realize that the problems that it has created it can't really be solved by the same thing that created them. We need to get past this individual, rugged individualist mindset that says, I have to profit. I have to have this for myself and I have to keep this property because there's not enough to go around, um, you know, to a mindset that really says, you know what, there is enough to go around, especially if I can work together with the people around me and my neighbors to create abundance, you know, in my own life, in my own community. And uh, there's plenty of ways to do that. And we just kind of have to really start thinking about those ways, even if it's like a community garden at the end of a street, you know, or creating a cooperative that produces clothing or something like that. Or um, I, I personally like starting kind of with the basics on sort of things because, you know, like food, water, shelter, those are the things that people really need. And if you can start providing those things for yourself in a cooperative fashion and not having to rely on corporations or the profit structure and, you know, these, you know, traditional hierarchical means of bit of business structure, then um, that, that's a major step in the right direction. And it's, and it creates this kind of foundational paradigm shift where people actually do start cooperating more. They do have these, uh, you know, relationships and interactions where they're making more cohesive group decisions and they're thinking things through. It's not just this kind of, you know, happenstance, random, way that things happen by everybody doing what's in their own best interests. It's everybody cooperating and communicating to do what's in the best interest of everybody. And, and that's kind of a, a, a fundamental paradigm and mind shift that I really think needs to happen on a smaller scale and then we'll kind of grow. Um, but it's, it's not something that's going to be, you know, really promoted by the mainstream media or, probably, you know, the authorities or, or any kind of political figures to a large degree, you know, um, Bernie Sanders was maybe kind of coming close with like Medicare for all, you know, maybe if we had gotten that in place, who knows, there maybe it would have been education for all after that, or, and that could have started to snowball from there. But, you know, as it is right now, it doesn't look like things like that are really going to happen anytime soon. So, we kind of have to start doing what we can in our own lives as well uh, to really kind of shift the system towards thinking that way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, uh, I lived in Florida, right? And after every hurricane I've been through, uh, I lived in the Keys. Uh, I'm here in uh, Lee County where Ian just hit. And I was here when uh, Irma hit, came through too. And the first thing I noticed once the internet goes off and the power goes out and the storm is over, right? Right. 
uh, the community comes together. You know, you're, you're out there moving the stuff out of your yard and, and the neighbors are done cleaning the yard and they walk over and help you or the family that set up uh, the big smoker on the corner out off Lee Boulevard and Lehigh Acres here. And they were just cooking food. And if you were hungry, stop and get the food. And mm-hmm. when you remove the profit motive and you remove the, the, the reliance on, you know, the internet brings us together, but it also, you know, pulls us apart at the same time. Like all of a sudden people didn't have their, their, their cable television to stare into. And they went out and they, they, worked with each other to, to cover each other's needs. Right. And it's, it happens when, when we want it to happen, but the minute that you go back to your personalized ads and, 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 and the consume, consume, consume that the, the notifications on your phone are giving you like it, mm-hmm. it, it drags that away. And it's, yeah. And, and not only that is the pressure, the overall system is still there. You know, things like that happen. And unfortunately, it, it takes, you know, a disaster or some sort of catastrophe for, for people to come together like that a lot of the time. But then the overall arching, you know, structures that we've created where you're forced to go back to work and you're forced to go to the grocery store to get your food and you're forced to get in your car and commute and things like that. They pressure you into, you know, acting all these certain ways. And, and before you know it, you're back within the system that, you know, has been created and, and experiencing all of those wonderful side effects that it produces as well. And, um, you know, it's in order to really make a, sh- a shift, I think we have to sort of get people in a different environment. And that's that's I think that's what happens when you have these sort of catastrophes and disasters and things like that is people are put into a different environment where all of a sudden, hey, we can't rely on these structures anymore. Now we have to do something different. We're forced to do something different. And it's pretty cool because what do you see people reverting to? Cooperation. They don't revert to a barter system where they're trade. Well, if I if I help you get that, you know, log out of your yard, then I want you to come over here here and and help me move my car is that a deal do we have a contract on that like it's not how it works a lot of the time you know people just help each other and they're oh yeah for sure man i can help you out with that too no worries and and that's kind of the way human nature i think really you know uh it's the it's the it's our default system, I think, and the way that humans have really kind of worked in the past before capitalism was ever a thing. You know, we were we were in these tribes and, and you know, smaller communities compared to the huge cities most of the time that we have in modern society. But people had to work together and there was no profit motive for anybody to really come out on top. You know, there was just there was cooperation and, and family and community and things like that where people helped each other. And and it's nice to see that come back to the surface, you know, even though it might be unfortunate circumstances a lot of the time um but yeah i mean the trick is how do you create that in everyday community you know and and i think you have to consciously do that and it's a learning curve you know you actually have to start communicating with other people about decisions that need to be made around not just your house but your community and uh you know even the systems that provide us with what we need on a daily basis like you know growing food and electricity and housing and creating clothing and things like that i mean we if we could all create systems where we do this on our own we can grow you know fabric in a field and i mean not fabric you know you grow cotton or whatever bamboo and other things that you can make fabric out of but um there's nothing stopping us from doing these things, you know, in a more cooperative fashion. A lot of the time, we just have to th- be creative and think of all the ways that we can create these things in our lives because the technology is so advanced now compared to what it was 100, 200, 300 years ago that, that we can essentially, you know, damn near create anything we want out of almost anything we want. And, 
you know, there's nothing stopping us from really implementing technology to the wisest and most beneficial ways anymore, as long as we just come together and decide to do that. And, and that's kind of the crux of the situation is how do we, how do we implement modern technology, you know, and, and come to these more cooperative structures uh, and create them in our lives without, you know, reverting back to the old system. And that's where creating the new systems comes in. And um, it's a slow, arduous process. And, and it takes a lot of, uh, you know, like I said, just kind of learning about these new systems and then implementing them in our lives. Um, you know, things like using sociocracy as a, a kind of government system for, you know, businesses and communities and things like that, or, or owning things, you know, cooperatively, where it's not just you, but it's an entire community, say, that owns maybe an entire community of houses or, or you know, various structures and, and uh, other ways, other more cooperative and e- equal ways of, of owning and governing things. So those are the, I think that's the direction that society is headed overall. And and with and and without those sort of structures, then we can keep falling back into this profit motive thing, you know, and this rugged individualistic mindset. And it's and it's going to be a, essentially, you know, creating these things consciously and and a process of doing that over the coming years and decades. That's really going to shift us, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that actually kind of leads into what you were talking about there. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, one of the first things that shows on your site is uh, the difference between uh transitioning from transactional reciprocity to systemic reciprocity. Right. Mm. And, uh, and, and I don't actually understand what that means. So explain that more a little bit, basically what we were just talking about. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of a mindset from, um, going from everything has to be a trade based transaction of some sort, you know, like I'm trading my time for money or we're going to trade chickens for rice or something like that in a barter system. And, um, you know, that's, that's essentially how the capitalist system relies is everything has to be based on a trade or a transaction and, and everything's a commodity. Everything is made to be bought and sold in the market now. And, um, it's very hard to obtain a lot of the daily necessities that we need without buying and selling them through the market and without trading something, you know, to get the money that we have uh, to do that. So essentially what we want to do is create systems where instead of you have to trade everything that the system just takes care and gives people what they need in no exchange for anything. Essentially, you don't have to exchange your time or labor to get a place to live, to get food, to get clothing, to get electricity or a computer to blah, 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 you know, just all these things that you need to live and operate in a normal society. You, um, you get them on a systemic basis and you contribute voluntarily to the system that's providing. you. And, and a lot of them aren't necessarily like, property of yours to own like the larger things especially like housing and transportation there would be more access to these things where they're essentially they're run for the benefit of everybody and um and and people would essentially just get what they need from the system uh without without being told when or where even if they have to contribute they just contribute when and where they can voluntarily you know they take educational courses that they want they you know contribute to their community by working at the sort of projects or wherever they want and they can live in various communities as long as those places are you know essentially being operated under the same you know kind of agreements and uh and that's kind of what we see at, at 
you know, forming into as a future, like a bunch of bunch of communities and cooperative networks that essentially just provide what they need to each other on a on a regular basis. You know, you can uh, producing as much as you can locally within these places as well. Localization is a biggie just to eliminate unnecessary transportation and uh, resource usage. Um but also, you know, there, there's things might be more regionally produced that are more difficult to produce, say, like vehicles or computers or things like that, where you need larger scale manufacturing. Those would likely be produced on a more regional basis to where, you know, um, one region would serve many, you know, or one production facility would serve many communities with those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, and so it's all these different systems and structures, they're we kind of have an idea of what they would look like, but a lot of the details are there to be fleshed out essentially. Um, but yeah. And so it's just essentially you're getting what you need out of the system overall without having to trade your time or money or labor. It just essentially eliminates the need for it, you know? So we're just trying to make the trade, the need for trade obsolete. You don't have to trade your time or your labor or energy anymore. And uh, we found a better way now, <laughs> you know, where the entire system can take care of everybody and we just keep it going because it's a great system and people are incentivized to do that. Right. And that sounds like it would it, like that sounds great to me. And and when I talk about these ideas with people, sometimes, uh, you know, of course, the detractors are like, well, what wouldn't everyone want to live in Florida? Well, I mean, <laughs> no. You know, there's people I'm, that I'm happy in Southern California and I know a lot right, of people that don't even want to move here too. And this is beautiful out here where I live. So. Right. So every, everyone's not going to just flock to one region or whatever, you know, people, people are inherently different. And when it comes to that, uh, everyone deserves access to basic human rights. And if you want to, you know, go travel the world, you, you know, you, you have the freedom to perform the extra labor that it would take to go, to go do the extra things, right? As if you're not worried about, uh, you know, where the food for your children are coming from or where you're going to live. And when you go off to go on this adventure, then the housing that you vacated opens up for another person to go in. Like the, the, it would, it would be very easy for this to work. I'd be okay with, you know, being able to go check out the West coast for a couple of weeks and then come back and like, you know, have the place where I live or maybe the labor that I choose to perform, uh, has me going to these different places to do different things. But if it wasn't just based on taking the first job I needed to take to survive and not starve to death, you know, people are not inherently this word lazy gets thrown around so much by uh, everyone in capitalism because it's been pounded into our head. But if you take a hundred people and you put them locked in a room with food and a bathroom and water and, 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 and nothing to do, they're going to go crazy. They're all going to want to go do something right. Because, because laziness is a concept that was, that was made up by people participating in this transactional society, right? Like it's not, uh, it, it's, it's one of those trigger words for me. I'm like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's people, people want to produce and they want to do the things like, that's the thing. Look at what happens when people retire. They get bored out of their minds and then they, they go find shit to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes kind of back to the uh, premise of the you know, concept in psychology called operant conditioning. And it's, it's essentially positive reinforcement. You know, when, when people do things that contribute to their community and, uh, you know, make physical progress in their community, then there's positive reinforcement that's produced even without money, you know, and money right now is, you know, a large, a large, uh, 
portion of the positive reinforcement that people receive essentially because money acts as both a barrier and an access point to essentially everything we need. You know, so if we need food, water, shelter, or to go see a movie or to go have a nice dinner somewhere, you know, we're incentivized to get money to do basically any of that. And it becomes like this middleman for everything. And, and the money itself is, is essentially providing this positive reinforcement right now. Whereas when you take that back, take that, take that positive reinforcement out of the equation that comes from money, then you're simply reverting back to the positive reinforcement that's generated, say, when you, you know, build an automated garden for your community and, and everybody benefits by that because now, even if it was just say one crop or something, let's say you built a robot that could harvest strawberries, right? And and now your entire community or your block or something maybe has has uh, you know strawberries because it can be produced you know on a relatively automated basis by a robot. And and you're proud of that. And your community thanks you for doing that. And maybe you have a little party on the weekend where you have like everybody has strawberry pie or, you know, uh, strawberry shortcake or something like that. And 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 these natural, you know, more community ways of showing positive reinforcement and experiencing it kind of end up going to the back burner a lot of the time. And and, and we've kind of seen a trend away from those sort of things, too. I mean, imagine, you know, uh, 50 or 100 years ago when people actually did used to go outside and have these block parties where everybody got together and, and things like that in their neighborhoods. And that's how community used to work is people gather out in a campfire and tell stories and share all their food that they, you know, had caught or harvested throughout the previous day or week or whatever. And... um you know, that's that's essentially kind of what we've lost with the profit motive in that system is it takes all that and puts it on the back burner and money becomes this thing that everybody's so focused on. We've almost forgotten about all that other shit. That's the, <laughs> and that's kind of the problem is we need to say, hang on, you know, money isn't actually the thing that we're really looking for here. A lot of the time, it, I mean, sure, we may need money to do this and money to do that and money to do this, but there's that to do this part that, that it seems that people kind of it goes it goes on the back of their head and wait it's just money that all of a sudden is providing no it's not it's the water that you're drinking and it's the food on your table and it's the relationships that you have with the people that you know the socioeconomic system but it enables you to you know uh, and experience and, and interact with and, and and a host of other things and all that will all of a sudden come to the forefront when money is put in the back burner and that's exactly what's happening in a lot of these disaster situations too like you're saying you know money is gone this the system is gone all of a sudden and oh you know hey maybe i'll cook up some food for everybody because why everybody would really appreciate that and they're probably freaking hungry you know <laughs> right yeah, it, yeah. It, it, that's simple. we in, we invented money food we we've yeah. been eating food to survive since <laughs> long before money existed we're, we're the only yeah. people who have you, you know every other creature on our planet uh somehow functions just fine without these transactions, right? They still yeah. build their nests and their hives and take care of their young or do whatever it is that they naturally do as the species they are. Uh, but we were like, what if we took all that and we put it behind money, right? Like that's, yeah. I mean, essentially what happened is the entire, you know, we all used to be tribes living in this fashion, you know, even, even way back in the day in you know, Eastern Europe and Northern Europe and a lot of these places, they, they all, you know, at one time or another, when you go far enough back in history, everybody was living this way in some sort of time. And, and eventually people essentially just whatever it was through, through trade or hoarding of wealth or, or whatnot, it, you had people that just essentially 
dominated other people by taking their land and property and, and using it to their own benefit. And the system essentially took over the world for whatever reason it is. And, but now there's, you know, very few people that run these systems. And I think a lot of them know damn well what they're doing. Um, but you know, the people at the top who have all this in charge, they, they like their positions of power and wealth that they've, you know, generated and that they're maintained by the current system and and they probably aren't going to give them up very easily and that's and that's kind of the problem that's why we don't see a lot of these solutions and things like that because they enjoy their jets and their mansions and you know six mansions or whatever it is and all the privilege and opportunity that comes with you know positions of high status um but the rest of us are kind of you know not doing so well and neither is the planet at this point and um there's going to have to be some compromises one way or the other, because if we don't address these things, then they're going to catch up with us and they're going to catch up with everybody. And I don't care who you are. It's not very much fun, you know, watching the world burn, you know, for, even if it's from a, uh, you know, a penthouse and, and you're in a, in a private view, you know, so eventually it's going to catch up with everybody. And that's the kind of the fever pitch that we're getting to lately is, is all these economic disruptions and, you know, social civil, you know, disturbances and everything like that. They're going to come to a, to a point where, where it's going to be too much and something's going to give, something's going to break one point, one way or the other. Hopefully we can have some, you know, good ideas and some examples and systems and structures in place you know, before, before that happens and, uh, maybe transition to over some of that relatively easily. That's kind of our goal is to start showing people more of these systems and structures and helping them transition over. Like one of my next projects, I just finished my book, but one of my next projects that I want to do is create a series of videos about forming cooperatives and form a couple ourselves and see how they go and, you know, try to help other people do the same thing within this community to start, you know, actually creating these systems and structures. And, um, yeah, so I don't know, just kind of went off on a tangent there with that. <laughs> no, it's perfect. That's 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 how that's how we find out how this stuff works, right? That's how we yeah. we get there. Because, you know, people sit around and talk about doing stuff on the internet all day. Uh and then it takes it takes someone with the idea to go out and pursue it. And and that's that's what I like about what you've done. You you had this idea and and you you pursued this to the point now where you you published the book on it. Uh, you're, you're, you're enacting the systems that can help bring this about. And that's, that's very admirable. I really appreciate that because this is, this is how we make those changes, right? Like if we, we have to participate and we have to, and we have to float these ideas and then we have to put them into action. When, uh, the, the no one wants to work movement last, uh, you know, it's been almost two years now before the great resignation and all that. And like, I heard all these businesses saying, nobody wants to work for us. Right. And I was like, I mean, but, and, and it was because of the benefits and they're like, you know, everyone's just sitting on these unemployment. I'm like, unemployment ended in Florida guys. And, and, and you're still not able to find work. Maybe that's not what it is. And, you know, I put out my applications and then nobody got back. I'm like, well, it, I mean, if I'm not qualified, I'm either, you know, I was getting, my resume is too vast or I'm not qualified enough. I'm like, I'm either too smart for the job or I'm not qualified for the job, but I can't be both. Right. Like it's, you guys got to pick one or the other here. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, you know, all of a sudden across the country, hundreds of thousands of other people were just like, wait, that's also been happening to me. So it's like, so it sounds like people want to work. And then the unemployment rate dropped to like the lowest it's ever been. So people are working, but they still can't afford 
their bills. And then, and then it's a late stage capitalism is a word that gets thrown around a lot on this, but it's in, and like you said, it's, it's, this is, we're watching in real time as the fire burns mm-hmm. and we can either stand there and watch it happen, or we can, you know, we've got to go out and find ways to stop the, the, the fire. And, yeah. uh, one of the things I see on your uh, website here uh, that I was, and I've, I've had a couple of people mention this thing to me, the Venus project. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, uh, I don't know how much uh, you're involved with that or whatever. Tell us uh, w- what your opinion on that is. Cause that, that's a, that's a subject that I like to hear more on all the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I haven't really been terribly involved with the Venus project. I definitely know who they are. And I, you know, I speak with a lot of the people from that organization on, you know, a regular basis. And, uh, but I mean, as far as like, you know, partnering with them or something like that, we haven't done that. We're, we're our own organization. And, um, I, I love what a lot of the Venus project is, has done and, and is doing. And, um, I think we're there, uh, the, the approach that they're taking is kind of trying to, uh, build, I, eventually like a kind of a larger city model right off the bat where I think our approach is, is trying to be more of like this kind of grassroots, um, you know, one piece at a time sort of thing, you know, like the, the Venus project, they, they're, they have their, uh, you know, kind of, I forget exactly what it is. They're, you know, international resource center or something, something like that, where they're, they're trying to build the system and kind of get it all, uh, all the ideas and everything hashed out and worked out to, build one big project at once, I believe. And and I'm not really too sure where along yeah. the process of that they are. I think that's kind of where the direction that they're heading. Whereas yeah, we're kind of like, well, we're just going to put this too. Yeah. And, uh, we're, we're just they're, kinda... they're, they're based out of Florida here. And it, and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it sounds like that. Like where we're, you're, you're trying to uh, sort of inspire a smaller group projects that could all come together into working together to be this thing. And they're trying to like, uh, you're doing it this way. They're doing it this way, sort of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like we're putting down like one brick at a time. You know, okay, we've got this one little piece figured out. Let's move on to this next little piece, and and uh, that's kind of more the approach that we're taking. Whereas they're kind of taking it. I think, at least my opinion. Like, like I, I don't want to misrepresent what they're doing, but like you know, from what I've seen and what I've heard about what the the current direction that they're heading is, they're trying to take it more like an overall. Like, we're going to create this big system all at once, and, and I think that's cool if they can do that. Um, you know, I, I I don't know exactly how close they are to being able to do that because I ha- I you know haven't really spoken with them about that on a you know a, a very uh, intensive basis really of just kind of you know checked out their website and you know spoken to a few people about it here and there but um I, I love the Venus project I love Jacques Fresco I love all the work that they've done I haven't I haven't visited their uh facility or their uh whatever the uh the, the property they have there in, in Venus, Florida, the 21 acre research center, I guess. Uh, but um, I'd love to go see it sometime and actually meet Roxanne. Unfortunately, Jacques passed away before I was ever able to, uh, you know, make it out there. Um, but I do know a lot of people that have met him also. And they, you know, say he was just as awesome in person as, as uh, you know, everything we see of him online with all the videos and everything. And uh, yeah, one, one day's one of these days I'll make a, uh, a pilgrimage out to Venus, Florida, pay homage <laughs> maybe, maybe, Jacques, maybe i should do Jacques that for, the, for, for an episode next because I've, I've been uh you know when i saw that on your site i was like oh maybe you know more about this because it, it it gets brought up a couple of times in the circles that we talk to people mm-hmm. about these things and and uh and i'm actually just right across the state from them so i, I oh nice i could i could pop right over um and then what was the next i had a one of my one of my uh patreon subscribers here uh 
one of the two, uh, mm-hmm. he had a really good question for me to ask. Uh, and so in the money economy where we're in right now, uh, we have, uh, we're dealing with inflation mm. in this moneyless society, uh, system, if a crafts person's got a couple of kids, they need more resources than before in order to raise their family. Uh, mm-hmm. and basically asking for more compensation for the same work, does that upset the balance of, of what the system would be doing? I don't think so. I mean, and it kind of depends on, I guess, what it is, you know, I mean, if you've already, the, the goal is to create the system and put it in place where people already have everything that they need. So they're like, well, what else would I need? You know, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, if you kind of, I mean, if you have a decent size home, you know, and things like that, and then let's say there's a park right outside your door with all kinds of maybe athletic facilities and things like that, uh, or, you know, a nice community and people around you are just like, well, what do you want? Do you want a, a bigger house or, you know, maybe, maybe we could find a way to, if your family grows or something like that, maybe we could add a room or something like that onto, onto a house. And, and, and I, I think just more, instead of, uh, you know, it being like a yes or no situation, it's like, I think people would work more with their community kind of on a, on a basis to think, to think, okay, what, what do we really need? What can we do without, you know, what, um, and I, and I, and I hate to say like, you got to sacrifice a bunch of stuff either, but you know, a, a lot of the time less is more, you know, if you have this big giant house and all these areas that you're not using and everything, then why, what, what good is it doing? You know, and those resources can be used for, for other things at other times, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for having nice, you know, large living spaces, but I'm also all f- for kind of sharing and using things together, you know, when, when, uh, when it's appropriate, I think, you know, it's like, I wouldn't want to have like my own gym in my own house and everybody okay, yeah, have makes, their own like gym or something. That like makes that. sense. You know if there's I mean? a good community gym, you're not, you're not trading your time and value to go get use of that gym. The, yeah. Yeah. So that, that makes sense that there would, there would be enough that wherever this kid ends up, whether it's your family or some other family, if you were like your living space is your living space. You don't need the huge, bigger, extra amount of resources and houses because all of the resources you need to raise your kid is available right outside your door. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay. So that, you know? yeah. That, yeah. And that, so I, that I think, yeah, a lot of the time people are like, yeah, well, you know, I, more, more material wealth, more material, this and that and the other. And it's kind of like, again, where it's not really ours. It's like, what can we do for the community? What can we all cooperate to do for each other? You know, and if there is something like, say you don't say the gym needs an upgrade, you know, like, okay, well, how can we talk about this as a community and, and maybe get a few new squat racks in here or something like that, you know, and, um, you know, or whatever it is, I think things like that are kind of best to think about, like on a case by case basis, you know, if, if somebody needs a new home or something like that, and their home is kind of falling apart, then, you know, the community pitches in, you know, and, and if that's, if that's necessary or possible, you know, to get this person a newer, or better home or upgrade it, whatever, you know, things like that. And, and we kind of just have to start thinking together in all those ways to how we can provide everything that we need and more, you know, and luxuries at, at that and uh, and create these really neat, cool living situations where people have everything they need, not just to survive, but to thrive in addition to it, you know. And um, there's a lot of cool ways to do that, I think. And people just, you know, kind of need to start thinking together again, like, what can we do for everybody? You know, how can we work together to create this? Right, because right now we we have more houses and more space in houses in the United States than we have people to live in them, and yeah. we have you know these 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 single 
celebrities that live in these 17 room mansions that, you know, like maybe just go get an apartment guy and we're going to let this family move yeah. in there. Like they didn't know they were going to have quadruplets. Or you don't have families, quadruplets, you know? <laughs> right? Like we can, yeah, that makes you know? sense, you know, in, in, yeah. in the, in the communal living model where, where we're not thinking of everything as a transaction, there, there could be space for everyone. That's, that makes sense yeah. to me because I lived, uh, when I lived in the Keys, uh, the boat that I worked on the Wolf, uh, we took a bunch of food to Haiti after the earthquake. Like we were like, there's people in need. There's places that the, the stuff's yeah. not getting to. Exactly. We filled up our I mean, sailboat and we just took it to them. Like, it, you know, we yeah. didn't, that, we just did it. Like it was that easy. Yeah, and in my book, I think the figures that uh, uh, we listed in there were something like 23 homes, actual homes for every homeless person. You know, that's not rooms. That's actual just entire like full-ass houses. Yeah, like a full-ass home or apartment unit, something, you know, just sitting vacant for every 23 units, essentially, for every single homeless person out there. And that's not including giant mansions with 20 empty rooms that's not including you know businesses that sit empty all night (laughs) you know that's not including giant office buildings that are just sitting there empty and things like that and uh you know government facilities that just go unused and on and on and on we have the resources you know we just need to come together and figure out ways to utilize them in a better fashion through cooperation rather than these you know rugged individualist competitive systems that we have in place now yeah we and and in in our in our in our country we 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 were on the way to stuff like that like our entire boom period right like we all these people and back then it was now we talk about billionaires but at first they were like nobody needs a million dollars so if you make more than a million dollars you're going to get taxed higher and then all these wealth taxes and and now we treat corporations like a person that doesn't have to pay taxes but you know they used to have less rights, a, a corporate entity, and they, more of the money from that would go to funding these social programs that we had. And we built the park system and we built the roads and we and we put all these these items in place, took those burdens off of the individuals uh, in the communities who were who were, you know, we didn't have to worry about maintaining the roads because the money was there to do it. And then everyone experienced a boom and rose together. And then as we've shifted to, like you call it, the rugged individualism, when when. Uh, now corporations are people and they're people that don't have to pay their fair share and they've, they've hyperinflated everything. Uh, and this is when people talk about inflation today. Like I'm like uh, every corporation that is bitching about inflation is also bragging in their shareholder meetings about the record profits they've been posting. Uh, the restaurant industry, the, the, all these industries that were, were going to see losses during the pandemic uh, – we threw all this money at them and then and then they actually none of them showed loss. They all showed profit. They all continue to show profit and the profit margin's gotten higher, but now there's inflation, so we have to pay more. And and but it's to me it feels not just forced but made up. Like it it's it can't be both. You can't not be able to afford to do business and also be doing the best business you've ever had, right? Like it part of that feels disingenuous and as long as the system is rewarding the people who do that uh that's that's going to keep happening and this is this is where it comes to why from what i was seeing in your book and 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 the ideas and that we share in the groups about these things like we are there we are at the point where something has to change and 
they're not going to change it. They're the politicians, the people in charge, the people who profit from these things. They have no incentive to change it because they are reaping the benefits of the broken system. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm poor. I, I grew up in foster homes. My, you know, my, my mom was a a weed dealer. So like for a long time, I thought that was okay. I supplemented my income by dealing drugs. Then I ended up getting a felony for that. And now the same street corner where I was arrested for selling weed is a weed store because now it's okay because they can make their money off of it. But I still am branded a felon for the rest of my life for these things. And, and I didn't, you know, my mom told me don't trust the cops and this is okay. And, and then like, obviously as an adult, I can look back at that and see that that was a really bad thing to learn growing up, but that's what, that's what I knew from, from where I came from in the society. If I grew up in, in a mansion with access to resources and, 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 and good credit and a business loan, I probably wouldn't have, you know, sold quarter bags of weed. Like that wouldn't have ever occurred to me because it's not part of what my lifestyle was. And when we're looking at how to, to shift to where everyone has equal opportunities, equal access to resources, these things won't happen. There won't be financial incentive for people to, to, to deal drugs, for people to commit crimes, because almost every single crime out there, financially motivated, right? People don't go rob a bank because they have so much money. Like it's, you don't rob the person walking down the street because you think they have money. Like you don't need their money. You need, you need the thing that the money is going to get you. So we remove those needs. We probably remove a lot of these crimes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and not only do you remove a lot of the crime, you remove a lot of the trauma and things like that that people have to go through when they don't have the things that they they really need in life. You know, when they have to go out and fight for it, or you know, they essentially you know have to commit crimes or things like that. You know, you stop a lot of bad things from happening to a lot of people too. And um, I think with a, you know a few generations of people actually getting a lot of the uh, you know resources and things like that that they need, that a lot of violent crime too would simply decrease. Be, even just like domestic violence, uh, you know, household problems, even things like uh, you know just just murders out of passion and things like that, or or even like mental, men, a lot of mental problems would start to le- probably start to kind of fade away as well as um, as society is just better you know, better taken care of <laughs> essentially it, it in, a lot of, in a lot of sort of ways, you know, everything from nutrition to healthcare to actually you know, exercise, getting the resources that people need, having enough time to rest, community, uh, all of these things play into people's health and wellness and even, you know, their actions and decisions on a daily basis. And, you know, if you have people that are trying to cope with a dysfunctional society uh, with a lot of dysfunctional people that, that have reacted in a dysfunctional way to this dysfunctional society, then you're going to get more dysfunctional behavior and that manifests in all sorts of ways and uh you know the the main solution is to to start with a actual functioning society and then let those effects essentially ripple through generations you know and it's probably not it won't solve all the problems overnight because there will be an adjustment period for people where they're still right. going to try to revert back to a lot of these old ways and it's all and, it's all um, it's all it's all some people know it's it's, it's all i yeah. knew for a long time 
Exactly. You know, but it, like, like you were talking, like I wanted to touch on the whole COVID and inflation and all this thing. And I think, you know, when dealing with complex systems like this, it's hard to single out like one single thing. Like there probably is some inflation. You know, I believe that inflation is affecting us to a degree, especially with how much money people got during COVID. A lot of people ended up, you know, getting, like, I got, I think it was over a year's worth of unemployment. And that was a really awesome thing for me. It actually really helped me finish my book and get that out there. And, um, and, and a lot of people for, for one of the first times in my life too, I really experienced some actual stability because I, you know, I wasn't really doing Same. very well at <laughs> a lot of these jobs that I had had and, and was kind of failing at before. And, um, I ended up getting pretty decent health insurance and getting some help like medically uh, that I needed as well in a couple of, in a, in a few various ways. And my quality of life actually improved over the course of COVID. I mean, I know I can't say the, the that for a lot of other people, unfortunately, it affected a lot of other negative ways. But, but, you know, I think that I think the same sort of thing happened for a lot of people too, where either, either one, it affected them in a, in a beneficial way, or two, it affected them in a really negative way. Uh, you know, and, the, and there's a lot of people who experience both across the spectrum. Um, but it stirred up the system, you know, it gave a lot of people access to resources and money without working, which for the first time, a lot of people's uh, actually, could sit there and think that, hey, you know, the system actually runs and I don't have to go to work at this bullshit job that I've had for the last five years and everything is still working relatively okay, you know, and I think it got a lot of people thinking that maybe there is a better way. Maybe we don't have to have just all this endless economic activity all the time that doesn't really contribute anything meaningful to society or humanity. And and a lot of and also it got it gave people money for doing nothing. <laughs> and and a lot of people don't really want to go back to their jobs now that exploit them for eight or 10 or 12 hours a day or however much it just happens to be. And um, it was a, it was a wake up call for a lot of people. I think what happened and and, and I, I can't really blame a lot of people for not really wanting to go back and work for 10 or 12 or 15 bucks an hour, you know, after after they ended up, you know, getting unemployment for that and just kind of, you know, doing their own thing and surviving for a while or even thriving in some cases. Right. Um, like, but then it, a lot it, of other it was it was, a, it was a stability that that I've never been able to maintain myself, even with the yeah. very small amount of unemployment that was coming in in Florida. Like at the end of it, it was it was. $250 a week was the maximum. I, I got the minimum. Yeah. So when it got, mm-hmm. when it got to all the federal money went away, I was getting a hundred bucks a week. That was still a hundred bucks a week that I knew was going to be there Yeah. while I figured out what was going on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people experience that and you know, it's, it's hard to go back to this, <laughs> this regular capitalist ex exploitative exploitive system, you know, that we have now uh, coming from something like that. It's and a hard pill to swallow. Everyone was given time to do things that that brought them joy. And they didn't just sit there doing nothing with it, right? People worked on their passion projects. You worked on your book. Uh, I worked Mm -hmm. on uh, my my gaming and streaming business that I've wanted to start. Uh, You know, I didn't didn't set out to become a a podcaster about financial shit. Like, I I was trying to do a whole different thing when this popped off. they exited, you know, the traditional workforce. They found their yeah. own means of sustaining themselves. And, and, and a lot of people that did happen to, you know, and I'm, I'm still kind of trying to do that with my book. <laughs> but, you know, in any case, it's like, I, I don't want to go back to a normal job now. It's me, me also, you know, I, I, I love the work that I do now, the, the book that I, that I've written. I, I really, you know, think it's, it's, uh, it can help a lot of people in a lot of ways. And I, or at least I hope it does. And, and I, 
love having these types of conversations and moving these systems forward in the direction, you know, that they're going. And there's no way that I would really want to go and, you know, sell insurance again or go, you know, wait tables at a restaurant on Friday or Saturday nights and, and have to leave my family to do that. You know, things, things of that nature. And, um, I think a lot of people feel the same way and a lot of people are kind of stuck now and they're fed up with the system and they want to see it change, you know, and we know that these systems work. I mean, there's, there's Mondragon, you know, the largest cooperative in the world with something with like 80,000 employees. They basically have their own little city in the Basque region. And, um, you know, when the 2008 and nine financial crisis hit with them, hardly anybody lost their jobs. They just shifted people around from one position in the company to another where they were more needed. And they all voluntarily took pay cuts instead of, you know, laying people off. And, uh, and they, you know, the, the, and then the company is thriving. They have like over a hundred subsidiaries. They're one of the largest manufacturers, I think, of solar modules in the world. They're a thriving technological powerhouse and it's a cooperative people actually owning things more democratically and running things more democratically. We know it works. You know, um, the town of Marinaleda in Spain also has been run by a communist mayor for like 30 years now. And it's just like a giant agricultural cooperative essentially. And, um, they don't even have mortgages or a police force. <laughs> you know, and we know these models can Sounds work. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Rojava, Rojava in Syria is another great uh, example of a you know, cooperative confederation. Essentially, lots of different groups of cooperatives that 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 employ the same systems, and um, it's very equitable. You know commonly demographic, I mean, democratically owned, you know, systems that they've implemented there and they're working really well. And we don't hear about them on the mainstream media or the news or, you know, in everyday, you know, the time magazine or the New York times and stuff like that, because those people don't really want us to know that these systems exist and that they work and that they can work well. Right. You know, and, uh, and when stuff like that starts coming out, it starts scaring the people that do own these big corporations and everything. And that usually gets shut down, but you know, Eventually, it's going to come out. <laughs> more and more people are finding out about it. And one of our jobs is to, you know, help get that message out there. And, and that's what we do. Yeah. And that's uh, that, and that's exactly why I started this show. I, I want access to this information to be available to people because, you know, it was the fact that Business Insider wrote an article about my thing was a fluke. That it was the exact opposite of everything I've ever seen come out of that publication. When they called me, I was like, what? what? But you know, one person there saw an opportunity to make money off of this story that I had. And I was like, you know, cause I'm sure a bunch of people got paid for that shit. I didn't. Uh, mm. And then, you know, running a Facebook group, you've got a pretty big Facebook group there. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but Facebook group moderators don't get paid. Uh, you know, we, we do this labor out of, of, yep. of the desire to, to help spread these ideas and, and seeing the, the, blowing up of support in these places, you know, besides the every now and again, getting brigaded by a group of the, of the capitalist sympathizers that happens to <laughs> all of our pages at points. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. And I'm uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, obviously your book, I've been running uh, the little thing on the bottom here that shows that it's available on Amazon. Uh, are there links to that on your website and all that? Uh, tell us, tell us everything that you're doing and how people can find it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so the book is available on Amazon as well as Barnes and Noble, or you can just Google it. It'll come back with a lot of, uh, you know, different avenue or, you know, just online publication or websites, whatever. Um, you can also check out our website. There is a link to it on the website, moneylesssociety.com. Um, and there's a few links on there too. Check out our podcast. We have a podcast on YouTube as well. Um, please check that out. Subscribe to that. 
Uh, and uh, our Facebook page and group, we're always we're always welcoming you know new people there on a daily basis who like to come and you know explore the subject and have conversations about it. And um, you know we just try to keep an open mind about all of it as well. I think that's one of the things that people really like about our page and our group is is we don't really say this is how it is, this is how it has to be. We're just we're open to all these ideas and you know to new people and ideas and organizations coming in and sharing their thoughts and their and their progress and the, you know, their projects and things like that, that they're doing. So it's, a, it's a, it's a really fun space. Um, really, you know, just interesting topic and, uh, to explore and learn more about because there's always something new and always new people to meet in that regard. And, and it just keeps on, you know, expanding and getting more interesting on a daily basis. So it's really cool. But, um, yeah. And like I said, one of my next projects is to start producing a good amount of, uh, um, videos and articles are going to kind of be my next focus for a while. So if you check out the website, you'll probably some, see some of uh, my material popping up there pretty soon. Um, just kind of getting all my ducks in a row to, uh, kind of start doing that. It should be able to start getting those out probably by the end of the uh, end of the month, January here. But, um, yeah, I can't really think if you want to get a hold of us, there's a, uh, uh, a link on our website to, uh, become a volunteer as well. We have a, just a form with seven questions that you can fill out and, uh, we'll get back to you as far as, as far as, um, uh, volunteering for the organization. It is a 501 C3 nonprofit. Um, we have a Patreon page as well. Um, and, yeah. Oh, and if you just want to drop us a line, feel free to do so at contact at moneylesssociety.com. And I think that's probably about it. We have, there is a lot going on and I, you know, doesn't, uh, not even uh, really talking too much about our future projects as far as where, where we want to go here with uh, like agriculture and co-ops and all that sort of stuff. So, so stay tuned. There will be more. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm sure all of, all of this, the links you find, get into one, it'll take you to the others and, and participating in the group. I, I have a lot of fun posting and participating there. I learn things all the time that I wasn't aware of before, uh, new ideas, new, uh, you know, things, some, sometimes I'm wrong about stuff, you know, it happens to the best <laughs> of us. And then I love learning new things, uh, from people because different mindsets. And that's one of the good things about Facebook groups is that they have, given us a way to, to trade this information in, in, in an open forum. And it, I really love that about that. Uh, it's been really great having you on the show. Uh, anyone listening to this out there, feel free to check out the pragmatic anarchist on any major platform. If you're listening, watch us on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to listen in the car. If you don't have a chance, uh, Matt shared all his links with us. It's been an awesome hour talking to you, and I uh, can't wait to see where you guys go moving forward from here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. No worries. Uh, all right. We're going to end.